Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching.
up your name this morning. We exalt the name of Jesus in this place, knowing that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we choose today to turn every blessing that you poured out back into praise, God, to give it back to you. just as in the end days when we'll lay our crowns at your feet. We lay our praise this morning at your feet. And you're so worthy of it, Father. You're so, so good to us. You've blessed us in ways that we could never imagine. Thank you, Lord. We're grateful this morning. It's our honor today, Father, to give back a portion of that. We pray that as our ushers come forward, you would multiply these offerings. God, do incredible things with the gifts of those that give this morning. Further your kingdom here. We just want to sit at your feet. Let's keep singing. Do you feel the world is broken? shadows deepen we do do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through we do and do you wish that you could see it all made new we do cause all creation groaning Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. And is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone is anyone home? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our blessing and honor and glory? Father truly love us. He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And is Jesus our Messiah? Hold forever those He loves. He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone able to break the seal?
we love you this morning. We love you. We love you. Thank you for being among us today. Thank you for being in us. For giving us the opportunity through Jesus to be seated at your right hand in him this morning. You've done it. It's finished. All striving has ceased. All that's left for us to do is sit back and sing you're worthy. Thank you, Father. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it just really struck me in our, our first service today as we were singing uh, this song. It's, it's a new song to us and just the words are so powerful of question, of you know, you can just kind of feel those questions as they come up and you, you, you see the challenges and the difficulties and the brokenness. And these questions come up and these doubts come up. And then, you know, this, this affirmation that he is worthy, uh, it just kind of res, res, resounds. And it's just so powerful just, just to be reminded of that. And, you know... Um, you know, come into that. There's times you just come and you and you're just you're just really filled and just like you're walking on cloud nine. And there's times you kind of come broken, and there's a, there's a brokenness of spirit, and 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 that serves us very well many times because you know God is the one who mends the brokenhearted. You went. 
when John, the revelator, in the book of Revelation, when he, when he saw the one who was worthy, you know, to, to open the scrolls. He said in, in Revelation chapter 1, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. You know, John was just so overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus at this revelation of who he is. He just fell. You know, he, he just, all the life seemed to go out of him. He wilted. That's a, probably a great way to see that, is that in the presence of Jesus, he wilted, just wilted. And he laid his right hand on me, he said, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. So, so that just really hit me this morning, and I think today, I think today I come at this text that we're going to look at this morning, I think I kind of come even at life today, just being honest, uh, with a sense of brokenness, just a, a longing to, to, to have an experience and, and to, to live with awareness of the presence of Christ like John did. And really, when we come to this text that we're going to look at today, uh, it, 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 um, it really hits me as a husband, and it hits me as a father. And, and I see intricately woven in the words of the text today about husbands, how, how that has such an impact on fatherhood. So uh, it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads today. Uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, some really important weeks coming up in the life of our church. Please be paying attention to everything that's going on uh, this Wednesday. Got some important stuff going on all this week. Next Sunday night, uh, we'll be wrapping up, finishing up our stuff for Bible school. And we'll kick that off a week from tomorrow night. And it's hard to believe that Bible school is, is almost here. But there's so much to do. Please make yourself available uh, to help us this week. So please pay attention to all the communications that are going to go out this week about the final prep for Vacation Bible School. And it is vacation season. A lot of folks are out traveling. It's family vacation season. People getting away. They need to get away. Uh, but what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks in this series, Family Vacay, vacating the attitudes and habits that wreck our families, we realize that family vacations can bring out the absolute best in us but also, with that much time being together, family vacation can also bring out the worst of us. Uh, it can reveal, in that time together, it can reveal the tensions. It can reveal the strains. That time can reveal all the things that maybe we need to be working on in our marriage, in our relationships with our kids. Uh, and, and when we see those things, we know that there, there comes a point in time where we need to, to really vacate uh, those attitudes and habits that can wreck our families. Uh, one of those today that we're going to talk about is in the area of communication. Just to make sure we're all communicating together this morning. Just say that word with me, okay? Communication. Communication. It's the idea of coming together uh, in, in unity. So when you communicate, it's really about getting on the same page. And, and I know that in relationships... Especially in marriages, when there's communication breakdowns and communication failures, there can come a lot of stress and a lot of problems on the relationship because of, of that word, communication, okay? Uh, if you are in a leadership role, communication is really important. If you're a teacher, uh, if you're over anything in life, communication is really important. And it's been said many times that until... You're sick and tired of communicating. You haven't communicated enough. 
I know that if you're in a leadership role and you've been telling people something and you've been communicating and you go over it and over and over and you and you are and you are just sick and tired of saying it. It's only until you're sick and tired of saying it that you have actually said it enough. Communication is so important. And sometimes that's even a challenge within our, in our relationship. You know, husbands and, and wives and men and women, they just seem to communicate differently at times, right? Am I, am I the only one who ever senses that or feels that? That sometimes when it comes to communication, we just tend to communicate differently. I know sometimes Emily will be talking to me and she'll be saying things. And, and, and I'm like, okay, I think there's some missing blanks here. I think there's some big blanks that are missing. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't even know if you spoke that in a complete sentence. Right. And I'm like, I'm really not for sure what the subject is, but now I'm pretty sure that I'm the direct object and I have missed something. Right. And then I will watch her get together with another lady, like in the backseat of the car, going somewhere. The guys are in the front, the ladies are in the back and they start talking. And I mean, it's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like they're reading each other's mind. It's like all of a sudden they're on the same frequency. And I'm just kind of blown away with that. And I'm like, how are they understanding what they're saying? Because they're only speaking in fragments. But yet somehow that female brain can just can just fill in all those gaps that the male brain misses, right? And it can be very, very frustrating. Uh, one of the sobering things about communication is that sometimes we can be, oh, what's a nice way to say this? Sometimes we can be, oh, what's a nice way to say this? Sometimes we can be, oh, the words are leaving me right now. Sometimes we can be obstinate. We can be obstinate. We can be hard-headed. We can be stubborn. And if we were honest, sometimes when communication is not happening, it's because we don't want communication to happen. We don't want to hear. We don't want to listen. It's just easier to say, to maybe be frustrated and to say, well, you're just not communicating clearly and you expect me to read your mind when at the heart of it, you really do know what she's trying to say. You just want to prove to her that she's not saying it very clearly. Communication is huge in relationships. Did I communicate that clearly? Communication is huge in relationships. Can I get an amen? It's, it's, can I get an amen? Let's me know that I'm communicating. Can I get an amen? Communication is huge in relationships. Could it be, could it be, could it be, could it be that God understands this so much that when it comes to getting our legitimate needs met in our marriages, and in our families. That God has laid it out in such a way. That when we follow the spirit. We speak the same language. We speak the language. The other person Needs us to be speaking in. I think we're going to see that. In the biblical text today. When it comes to. The legitimate needs. Between. Men. And women. I also want to. Just acknowledge today. That. This text. That we're going to look at. And this is Ephesians 5. If you want to head start. Start in verse 22. That when you read this biblical text. People just scratch their heads and they say, that seems so old-fashioned. That sounds so archaic. Um, they say, that sounds so counter-cultural. And we need to be reminded that the reason the text sounds so counter-cultural is because it's supposed to. When Christ is operating in the center of the home 
and the home is balanced and centered around him, the home, that home, is going to look different than homes where he's not. So when I read this and you go, this sounds so different from what I sense in the culture today, then I would just reply and say, yeah, it's supposed to. This text reminds us that the mission of the church is really redemptive. The mission of the church is about taking that which is broken, taking that which is messed up, taking that which is frayed and off-balanced and off-centered, and making it what it needs to be. It's about redemption. And one of the things that's really missed on us when we look at Ephesians 5 is the cultural background to which Paul was writing. You see, when Paul wrote this text in Ephesians 5, he knew that this text was going to impact people from a Jewish background, people from a Greek background, and people who are also a part of the Roman Empire. And so when you understand the cultural setting to which this was written, you're going you're gonna to see and you're going to hear, whoa, this is radical. But it's radical in such a good way. So in the Jewish world, especially in regards to women. At this point in this time, and we're not talking about how, how God breathes life into Israel early on, but we're talking about where the Jewish culture had developed, where, where they had involved into, had developed into in regards to their view of women. In fact, in his morning prayer, there was a sentence in which a Jewish man gave thanks, gave thanks that God had not made him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. In fact, in Jewish law, a woman had no legal rights. She was a possession. She was not considered to be a whole person. The Greek world was even worse than the Jewish world. Because in the Greek world, prostitution was an essential part of Greek life. It was said by Greek men... We have courtesans, which were like call girls. We have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having legitimate children and of having a faithful guardian for all our household affairs. The Greek expected his wife to run his home and to take care of his children, but he found his pleasure and he found his companionship elsewhere. And then amongst the Romans, still even worse. It was said about women in Rome. Women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. In infidelity and divorce was so rampant that women dated the years by the names of their husbands. One historian, one historian in the first century said that there was a woman in Rome who was married to what was her 23rd husband, and she herself was his 21st wife. So now when you understand those three cultures that were prevalent in the first century, and now you lay Paul's words on top of that, you go, wow, the Christian view of the sexes and the Christian view of marriage, and the Christian view of the home, is radically different than the rest of the world. And Paul is calling to a, a purity of relationship, to a fidelity, to, to a relationship where both are honored, both men and women. And his platform, his own personal theology in regards to the sexes, he lays out in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He says, there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, 
there is neither male nor female. For you are all what? Galatians 3.28. For you are all. I'll tell you what it says. There we go. Next part of it. There we go. You are all what? You are all one in Christ Jesus. A radically different perspective in regards to the sexes from the rest of the world and the rest of the culture. So Paul is his starting point in regards to the sexes is that in Christ we are all equal and we are all one. This section of scripture, as we've learned, is a part of scripture that's called the house codes. And the house codes were normal in ancient cultures to have principles, guidelines for how people within a household operate. But what's unique and different about the house codes here in scripture is that there is a an emphasis on responsibility toward those who are heads or over the households. And that's very unique to the ancient world. In fact, the language here is unique to the Christian worldview. It's unique to the church. And the language here doesn't come from any other aspect of culture or society. It's all within the church and how God through Paul instructs us here. The other thing that's really important. And you look in verse 22 when Paul says, Wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. We are reminded that this mutual subordination, that mutual subordination is to, be, is to be practiced in the church as a whole. Before you ever get to verse 22 and the role of wives, in verse 21, Paul has already encouraged the church as a whole to be practicing mutual subordination, putting the needs of others before themselves. So ladies, please understand that here in the text, Scripture is not admonishing women to do something that is exclusive. That this heart of being in subjection or this heart of subordination is to be practiced widespread throughout the body of Christ. It's not exclusive or unique to wives. The other thing that's really important about this section of Scripture is that every aspect of this is centered and balanced around Christ. It is Christological. In other words, when you, when you really want an example of what does it look like for a man to love his wife and his children, then you can look to the love of Christ for the church. And when you really want an example or a model for what it looks like for a wife to respect her husband and then model that before her children, then the example of that is Christ's relationship to the church. Does that make sense? So it's Christological. It's centered around Christ. So if you ever get, get out of balance and you think about the the roles here, or what, looks like, what it looks like in the home, then look to Christ. Men, how does, how does Jesus love the church? Ladies, how does the church respond to Christ? It's Christological. Every part of this is centered around Christ. And when you look at those two relationships there, you cannot walk away from this text and say that the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart is about love. It's about what does love really look like in a home. Several years ago, I was with a group of young men. And there was an older man who was sharing with us guys. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, hopefully one of these days, you, you young guys, you young guys, you young guys, hopefully one of these days, and I was a, part, I was a young guy then, he said, one of these days, hopefully you're going to have children. He said, I want, I want to tell you one of the greatest things that you can ever do for your kids. So my mind is thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to have a little boy, we're going to go out in the yard, and I'm going to throw a baseball with him. 
or I'm going to teach him, you know, how to shoot a free throw, or I'm going to show him how to, how to work on a mower, or how to use his hands. I think about a little girl, and, and I'm going I'm to, yeah, I'll sit down, and, and, and I'll, do, I'll play tea with her, and we'll do dolls, and we'll do, I mean, I, I'm thinking about in my mind, what's one of the greatest things you can do as a man what, that you can do for your children? And I'm thinking of all these things, and then he says, love their mother. I'm like, what? He said, yeah. Love their mother. He said, it's going to be amazing what happens in your home and the type of environment and the type of culture that your kids are going to grow up in when they see their father just simply loving their mother. Of all the things you could ever do for your children, that is the greatest thing you could ever do for them. So we can't walk away from this scripture and conclude that it's about anything other than love. But I really think this section of scripture is about meeting legitimate needs. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to explain to you what we mean by that. In Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 22, the house codes, Paul writes, he says, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'll explain some of these things in just a second. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. When we start to break this down, we're going to see that I think God is really speaking our own unique love languages. Have you guys ever heard of the five love languages? By Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book several years ago called The Five Love Languages. In fact, I encourage all couples... Go to www.fivelovelanguages.com and do the five love languages quiz. Identify what your love language is. According to Dr. Chapman, there are five love languages. Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality, quality time, and physical touch. And it's, it's important to know the love language of, of your spouse or even your kids because... What you will do and what I typically do is we typically speak to other people our own unique love language. So, for example, if your love language is words of affirmation, then most likely what you're going to do to show love to other people is, is to encourage them. To give them words of affirmation. So, it builds me up, so I automatically conclude that that's what it's going to take to build you up. But here's the deal. If your love language is receiving gifts, then I can speak words of affirmation all day to you till I'm blue in the face, but you never feel loved. And I'm going, what in the world's wrong with this person? And there's nothing wrong with them. They're just different from me. I really think here God is speaking the unique love language of men and women in this text. When I counsel couples, I'll ask them. There's, there's two questions that I ask them. This is always really fun. I ask them, I'll ask the young lady, I'll say, okay, what do you think is the number one need of men? Generally speaking, now granted, there could be exceptions. Can I get an amen? There's always exceptions to the rule, right? Generally speaking, what do you think is the number one need of men? Most young ladies will say sex. I'll say, no, that's number two, number three, number four, number five, and number six. I'm kidding, okay? I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'll say, no, that, that's really not it. Typically for men, generally speaking, what speaks love to them in a relationship is respect. It's respect. Generally speaking, men want to feel like they're respected, that they're honored. So, so I'll say to her, I'll say, so if you ever really want to hurt your man... And you don't. You don't want to hurt your man. But if you ever, you know, just tongue in cheek, if you really want to hurt your man, then criticize him. And do it in front of other people. If you really want to beat him down, 
then you make him feel like he's a nobody in your eyes and you do it in front of other people. But if you want to build your man up, then you encourage him. You encourage him. He fixes something around the house. Maybe he didn't do a great job. Just focus on the part they did do well. Uh, at least focus on the effort, right? Hey, I appreciate you trying this. And it's amazing, ladies. It's amazing what will happen when you just pat him on the head and give him a few dog bones and send him on his way. He'll come back and do more the next week. It's really amazing what will happen. Because you've built him up. You have appealed to a need within him for honor and for respect. I think the biblical text is going to bear that this is a legitimate base need among men to feel respected, to feel honored. For women, what's the number one need of women? Generally speaking, generally speaking, most psychologists tell us that it's in the area of security. Women typically want to feel secure. So when things around the house are not getting taken care of and the bills are coming in, their sense of security is being eroded. Break their trust. Security goes out the window. But show that you're taking care of things. Show that you're taking care of her. Show that you're paying attention. Create within your relationship with her, an environment of security that she can trust you, that you're going to follow through. You're going to do what she's, you know, all these, you, you are just a man of honor and a man of respect. And she will show you honor. She'll show you respect. Now, now granted, 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 as we see that the mission here is redemption, our stubborn, insubordinate, and contrary flesh patterns can actually rail against our spouse even when they might be following the heart of God in the relationship. So this thing really only works when both are pursuing the heart of the Lord in the relationship. So when Paul writes and he says, wives... Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. You can see to admonish him, to encourage him in his role in the home. And we'll see what that role here is in just a second. That she is acknowledging a role that he has to lead their home. And we're going to see this in just a second as the head of. Of the wife. And that's the part that just causes. It just causes people. And I can see in our culture and society. It causes. The skin. On people. Just to, to almost curl. Because they go. Whoa wait a minute. Wives. Be subject to your own husbands. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head. What in the world are you talking about? The husband is the head. Of the wife. Well first of all. When the text says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. It does, and we we'll all just leave the text on the screen. When it says that, doesn't mean as if he is the Lord. That's not what this means. As if he's the Lord. That he has this role in the home of being like, you know, that barbarian caveman. And he walks out and he just grunts and all the kids and the wife do whatever he wants them to do. And, and they're supposed to be this subordinate, submissive, sub subjected individuals in the home. Because his role is, if he, is, is as if he's the Lord. No, it's as to the Lord as a part of a wife's devotion to the Lord. Because trust me, there's going to be days... Where you're not going to feel like this. There's going to be days where you don't feel like honoring. You don't feel like respecting. You don't feel like trusting Him or trusting His leadership. So what has to kick in during those times and those seasons? What has to kick in is a deeper commitment. And it comes back to a wife's commitment to Christ. To honor and to respect. And I also believe too that what can happen is the spirit in her, which is the Lord's spirit, can work in the spirit in him. So when he sees his wife honoring him 
and respecting Him, then if He is in the Spirit of the Lord, then what He's going to want to do naturally is to build her up. He's going to want to encourage her. He's not going to want to abuse the honor and respect that she's given to Him. But ladies, it's not as if He is the Lord, but it's as to the Lord, as a part of your devotion and your walk with Christ, you honor and you respect your husband. For he's the head of the wife. And this is where people really, really, really get sideways when they hear this language. For he is the, next verse, for he is the head of the wife. Now the word head here, let's go to verse 23, guys. For the word head here is an interesting word. It's kafale. There you go. Thank you. The husband is the head of the wife. It's the word kafale. And it can be taken in a couple of different ways. There's one way that a lot of guys want it to be taken. Here's how men want it to be taken in their flesh, right? They want to hear, I am in charge. I am the head because I run things. I make all the decisions. The buck stops with me. You know, I am the king of this domain. And everybody's going to do what I say. Now, guys, don't you dare say amen. Don't you dare do that right now. Don't, if you just said amen, ladies, you have my permission to elbow them, okay? The word kafale, head, is not head in the sense of someone who runs things or who orders things or who commands and tells everybody else what to do in the home. When you look at the role of the husband toward his wife. Down later in like verse 26. When we look at Christ and his relationship to the church. That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she would be holy and blameless. Then you can see, watch this. That in Christ's relationship to the church. Christ builds up the church. He nourishes the church. He encourages the church. So the husband is the head, not in the sense that he runs things, but he's the head in the sense that he is the primary point guy for showing generosity and kindness and goodness. The one who builds up, the one who nourishes, and the one who takes care. Now watch this. Ladies, ladies, ladies. If you know that you've got a man, and by the way, if you are in a dating relationship, and you're thinking about engagement, and you're thinking about marriage down the road, if he doesn't walk with the Lord while you're dating... What makes you think he's going to walk with God when you get married? Because the beauty of this thing is that when a man who walks with the Lord loves his wife and loves his family in this way, and he's the head in the sense of the primary caregiver and nurturer of the home, you tell me, you tell me, what lady would not want a man like that? Who's going to be looking out for her? Who's got her back? Building her up taking care of her, looking out for the kids. What lady would not want that in her home? Head in the sense of not running things, but head in the sense of just like the physical head to the physical body. The physical head takes care of and makes decisions for the physical body. And it's understood. It's understood. It's understood. It's implied in the text. That a man who loves his wife. Is a man who also loves himself. So if you are caring for yourself. And, and, and you're taking care of yourself. Then as your head makes those decisions for your body. Then it only makes sense. That as a husband. You're going to want to take care of your wife in the same way because she is one with you. You take care of her, you're taking care of yourself. I said last week, and I mean it with all my heart, men, if you've been married for any period of time and all you want to do is gripe and complain about your wife, 
And the way she is, then maybe consider just who she's been married to for several years. Maybe she's only reflecting what the head has been doing for years. You see, God wants our homes to thrive. He does not want them to just survive. And sometimes you have to make radical decisions for change. For your homes and your relationships to go from surviving to thriving. You know what the definition of insanity is? Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? So sometimes we have to make radical changes in ourselves and in our relationships for us to begin to thrive the way God intends for us to thrive. In the picture here at the end of verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Then think about it. Think about the think about think about the patience that Jesus has toward us. Think about the grace he gives toward us. Think about the forgiveness he shows toward us. Think about the consistency he shows toward us. Can you count on him? Can you count on him? Can you count on Christ? If you really know who he is, can you count on him? Is he worthy? Then as the church can count on Christ. A wife should be able to count on her husband. And then the reciprocated role of that, how that looks coming back is verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. There's no selective Subjection. Oh, I'll trust you with this, but I won't trust you with that. Oh, I will let you, and yes, ladies, some of the reasons why our men don't lead homes is because sometimes their wife don't let them. Don't let them. Won't support him, won't get behind him, won't encourage him. And ladies, listen to this. For a young man who grew up in a home where there was not a strong godly father. This is so hard for that guy. He don't know. He's never seen it. Today's Father's Day. And what we've seen and what I've seen. In my family and our relationships. With some of our dads and grandfathers. They don't always have to say it. But they've always shown it. Unconditional love. Putting the needs of the family for themselves. And we live in a day and time where the family is so broken down. That there are so many young men and so many young women. They're not growing up with this. So for a young man or for a man who, who's never had this. This is so hard. He doesn't know what it looks like. So he's got to have relationships with other men in the body of Christ. Who can help him. And guide him and show him what it means to be this kind of husband. As a church is subject to Christ. So also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Before we get to verse 25 next week, about husbands loving your wives. The focal point of this passage is the role of wives. And what it looks like in regards to Christ and the church. Another thing that we often share in counseling is this. 
you're not responsible for what somebody else does. You are not responsible for your spouse and their decisions that they make. You're not responsible for anybody else. The only person that you are responsible for ultimately is you. So this starts here with wives and then it's going to come to husbands and this whole thing comes together later. So I would just encourage you ladies, as hard as it may be, as difficult as it might be, even though your husband might be struggling with this, showing honor, showing respect, showing encouragement, might help turn him the way he needs to go. Knowing that you trust his heart, that you're his cheerleader. Because I'm going to say this. And this is the last thing I'm going to say before we go. I'm looking at the clock. We've got about 10 minutes. I know a lot of guys that we've ministered to. When they need a break, they turn to a bottle or they turn to a pill. And they develop addictions in their life because they use those to escape the stresses of their lives. And one of their stresses is their wife. Wouldn't it just be awesome if every man's addiction and every man's outlet from stress from this world and stress from life and stress from work and stress from all this other stuff, wouldn't it be great if husbands and wives found their addictions in one another toward the man he doesn't want to run to the golf course. He doesn't want to run to the deer stand. He doesn't want to run to the shop. He wants to run to his wife. Because there's where he finds his peace. His high is her. And there's nowhere else he'd rather be than in her presence. Do you see how this works both ways? So the lady says, am I the type of wife he wants to run to? Am I the type of wife he wants to run away from? The other way around. Is he the type of husband I can respect, I can honor, that I want to be with? It goes both ways. But it starts with you. So today I'm going to ask you to stand just very quietly and very reverently with us this morning. And ladies, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're going to get to the men next week in the next section of Scripture. But I want to encourage you ladies today in your homes, in your marriages, you, you probably have no idea how much power you really have to affect change in your home. If you think you're powerless, you believe the lie of the enemy. You have believed a lie. You really do have within you tremendous power from the Lord to affect great change in your home. It, it, it can start with you. It can start with you. So maybe today, as you just bring your heart under Christ. Might your heart be, Lord, I just want to be what you want me to be. Because I can tell you, there's nothing that breaks my heart more than ever thinking before the church and before the team and before the community. There's nothing that would break my heart more. And to think that I'm not what I need to be for my wife and my kids. So I pray that you have 
that heart today. Let's bow our heads and let's just give our homes and our families to the Lord. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.